from depression to diabetes to obesity and addictions. Our medical problems are climbing and are now at epidemic rates. This is why I started this podcast, Your Health Transformed, to educate you, to teach you, so we can all learn how to combat these increasing medical problems and live well again and become transformed. I am your host, Dr. Franchelle Hamilton, bariatric surgeon, and have seen these medical problems and treated them firsthand. I am now on a journey to help transform health, not just band-aid it. So thank you for listening and going on this journey with me and all of my guests on Your Health Transformed. I am your host, Dr. Franchelle Hamilton, and today I'm excited to talk to our guest, Melanie Lentz. She was a previous Secret Service agent and author of Agent Innocence. And this is exciting for me because I've never talked to a Secret Service agent. (laughs) So I'm almost like starstruck right now. (laughs) So we're going to talk about how to protect yourself from the inside out. And she specifically is going to talk about this using her experience. And I think this is so important because so many people have difficulty, um, especially my women, saying no to things and not putting ourselves first. And that can lead to definitely some health problems. So she is going to talk to us about her journey and what she did to kind of get out of that. So welcome, Melanie. I'm so excited. Yes, me too. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat today. (laughs) That's great. That's great. So you were a secret service agent. So give us kind of a brief overview of how that, how did you get into it and how that was for you? Yeah, I, I did not grow up that little girl that wanted to be a secret service agent. You know, I watched the movies and it sounded super cool and, you know, repel out of the helicopters and save the president in the nick of time, you know, and the aviators (laughs) and the earpiece, you know, over-dramatized television. But I didn't, and I was painfully shy as a child. Like if anybody you knew that knew me as a kid said, Melanie would be doing any public speaking whatsoever, much less be a secret service agent. They would have laughed. They would have laughed. They said, not this girl. She might be a writer, but she's not going to be, she's not going to do anything in the limelight at all. But I was in college. I started college when I was 17. So I was young. So I was in grad school when I was 21. And my grandpa's best buddy's daughter, you know, very roundabout way. I had a connection with a secret service agent. (laughs) His daughter was a secret service agent. And so my grandpa was always hearing the funny stories about all her workplace adventures. And she wasn't in the military or law enforcement before. So my grandpa is the one that said it initially, hey, you should apply. I thought, grandpa, what do I have to offer? You know, I'm just a little college student. You know, I studied kinesiology. Like I'm an exercise person. Yeah. But You know, when you're in college, sometimes there's a little bit of independence. You know, I was the traditional college student, lived on campus, you know, had a little part-time job, was a swimmer on the swim team. But as grad school starts winding up, you got to start thinking about long-term. Am I going to stay in school and go for my PhD or am I going to get a job? And so I think that that uh, 
desperation, if you will, summoned the courage to actually apply to the job. And I met the very minimum requirements. You had to be 21 with a college degree or equivalent experience like law enforcement or military. So I barely, I mean, I squeaked in with the minimum standards and I thought I would never hear from them. You know, everybody thinks, oh, that would be a cool job. It's a team worth playing for, but can I earn a spot on the varsity kind of thing? Exactly, exactly. So I thought I would never hear from them, but they called me to take the initial exam. It's a written exam. I barely passed that because I didn't know anything about law enforcement and barely passed that. And over a six month period, I started passing, you know, initial interviews, panel interviews, then they do a polygraph. And my polygraph is, you know, a comedic event because I just dumped everything on that guy. Um, you know, everything about my child. I mean, everything. There was nothing yeah. left unturned. But it was one of those where by the time I started getting past a few of the elements of the of the application process, I wanted this job bad. You know, I'm the type A, I was doing the research, I was reading the books and I was like, I want this. Like, what am I gonna do? What do I have to offer? And my solution was I was trainable. I said, I don't know anything. What's the point of eight months of academy training if you're not gonna teach me? Show me, yeah. I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to do it. I'll do the extra work where I'm deficient. So give me a chance. And they bought it. And so June 2007, I got a call from the Los Angeles field office, one of the supervisors there. And he said, Melanie, do you want a job in Los Angeles? You leave in three weeks for training. And oh my God, my life changed overnight, you know? And uh, so I, I was, had no idea what I was getting myself into a, but yeah. it started an adventure that taught me a whole lot about being a woman, a, but just being a human and what kind of person I want to be and do it better than I did when I was younger. I can only imagine because you started so early because I also started college early. Mm -hmm. And so, but I had more time than you because I had to go through med school. So I was like right. a professional student. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I liked <laughs> school. Yeah, exactly. As far as learning what to do and yeah. what not to do. But here you are like, oh, okay, I'll just try this and look where it landed you. But I do love right. the idea that you're like, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to be trained. It, that's almost like a mindset of growth. Like you're like, exactly. I'm willing to learn and do what I need to do to be able to fulfill this goal of mine, which is great. So yeah. you're in the secret service at like 22 or 20, 22. Yep. <laughs> super young. <laughs> and what was some, what was your assignments like? Like what was your life like during that time period? Right. So you go through eight months of training. It's two academies. The first one's in Georgia, which is a basic federal law enforcement. So my class was half secret service trainees and half ICE trainees. So it's basic stuff. You uh, learn okay. Fourth Amendment search and seizure. You know, you learn the basics. And then you go another 18 weeks in D.C. or Maryland area where it's Secret Service specific. So the Secret Service protects the president, vice president, all that. And they also have a financial crime element, too. So um investigating counterfeit currency or financial crime. That's how the Secret Service started with oh, wow. currency. Yeah, protection didn't come until the early 1900s. So it's it's kind of a, a interesting thing is that it wasn't always a protection agency. So yeah, there's a dual mission. Yeah, yeah, dual mission for investigation and protection. So you learn that at the academy. You don't go right out of the academy to Washington DC and protecting the president. So you go <laughs> to the field, you go to the field as they say. So I was assigned to the Los Angeles field office. 
You spend a few years in the field as a new agent, you do your financial crime investigations and protection as needed. So in LA, for example, a lot of foreign heads of state, so prime ministers, presidents of other countries would come for the tourism in LA. So you've got a lot of bit protection experience in a smaller scale. Oh, so you kind of wow. learn the ropes. So yes. after a few years of doing all of that, and then you travel like, LA went to Vegas a lot um, for when like the president or a presidential candidate would go to Vegas. That's a kind of a hot spot for a campaign year. We would drive out there and assist with those, but we weren't. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you travel around a lot. So you spend a few years there and then you transition to a permanent protection detail. They call that phase two. So most agents want to go to Washington, D.C. and do president, vice president, their spouses, you know, the big details, the, the, the varsity, as they say. Yes, exactly. The varsity. Right. I like but, that. Um, but there's also details. Former presidents and their spouses get protection for life. So the Bushes are in Texas, as I'm sure you know, being located in Texas. Yes. Um, the Obamas have a permanent detail, the Clintons and such. So oh, I we, didn't know that. So they yes. for life forever. Mm -hmm. So yes. there's options. They're a little smaller scale because it's not as big, um, yes. but they do have protection. So when it's time to go to phase two, you kind of have options. So my life on a daily basis in the field was much busier than when I went to protection because I went to Nancy Reagan's detail, which is kind of the roundabout personal story about why I didn't go to DC, which is what I wanted. You know, I was the type A, I was going to do the whole thing. Yeah. But my first year on the job was 2008 and that was a presidential campaign year. So it was the Obama McCain campaign. And that yes. was a crazy year to be a new agent. I yes, was gone. I oh, we were hot. I mean, they were hitting three or four cities a day. I mean, I don't know how candidates maintain the energy levels for, yes. I mean, it's amazing, but so we were traveling a lot. And I always say, looking back at 23, by this time, I made a lot of bad habits my first year on the job because it was a demanding job where protecting others trumped anything going on in my personal life. You get that text or you get that page or email saying, congratulations, here's your flight to XYZ for this presidential campaign event and you go. And so my first year on the job, I only took one vacation day. I only submitted one vacation day for my mom's birthday that whole year. So oh you might've had a, yeah. One, one day. vacation day. And I had colds, you know, I was traveling a lot. I had colds and I still went to work sick. Well, did you have like to that. go or like, could you say no, or you could not say no? At the time I couldn't because it was a campaign year. Everybody knows you're never going to be home on a campaign year. Okay. But even as I got seniority later on, a few years later, I still didn't take the time off. Like I should have, you I kept said, yes, those habits, like yes. not saying no, I said yes to work and no to my love. I was married, my family, I said no to myself because I wasn't taking care of myself and protecting others always trumped protecting myself. And that's kind of the nature of the job, but I don't blame them. Those were choices I made. There were times when I canceled vacations with my husband because of work and I didn't have to, okay. I didn't have to. And so those patterns, you know, that kind of self-neglect catches up with you after a while. Yes, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. and it did for me. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, okay. And so- that was kind of the front story. So you're mm -hmm. secret service agent. You're really pumped about the job. You're oh. young, right? And so you're saying yes, 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 yes to work, which so many of us do in life. And you're saying you're, meanwhile, you're neglecting yourself. You're neglecting your relationships, which honestly, at some point you find out is kind of what makes you well, what makes you whole. So right. how long was this going on before you kind of realized that there was a problem? 
Right. Well, you know, I was married to a local police officer, so it's very okay. easy with that kind of lifestyle where we had opposite schedules and in that line of work. And I know in the medical field, you see it as well. You see some of the yucky side of humanity, the yucky yes. parts. And so me thinking, oh, we have communication issues. There's issues in our marriage. You minimize those because, you know, he might've had a really bad domestic violence call that day at work and he comes home to tell me about it. And I think, well, that really minimizes my, my grievance or whatever. And so you kind of live this lifestyle and law enforcement and many public service occupations, you get this switch where you just turn off your emotions and go to work. And it's really easy to leave it on. So we just like, cohabitated well as roommates, even though we were spouses, but we were living totally separate lives. And it's sad to see that we got along most of the time, but we weren't together. And I would say that's common. Like you're right, yeah. being in the medical field and then specifically I'm a surgeon. So right. I take call, we have, and you're right, a lot of healthcare workers and it's probably not just healthcare and law enforcement, right? Oh, it yeah. can probably Plenty. be related to anything where you see so much bad stuff, right? Like as a trauma mm -hmm. surgeon, gunshots, mm -hmm. stab wounds, and you almost had to, to get through the day, you had to like separate yourself. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like the yes. emotional side to a certain extent, because- right. Because living or working in those, those are very high stressful environments. Like if you don't figure out a healthy way to kind of disconnect some of the emotions, I can see how that alone can kind of spiral. Absolutely. People. Yeah. So, I so can after see how that yeah. can happen. After a while, so I was in the Secret Service just under 10 years. So about the eight wow. and a half, nine year mark, it was time to go to DC or do you'll go to a permanent protection detail that phase two portion of your career. And my husband couldn't move to DC easily. You know, he was a local police officer. That wasn't a job that easily transferred to another state. Okay. And our marriage, there was some stuff that happened that proved that our marriage was in trouble. And, you know, I'd go into detail about it in, in my book, but in, in essence, it's one of those things where you can't ignore it anymore. Yeah, and okay. I knew we were in trouble. And yes. it was one of those where there was an opening on Nancy Reagan's detail. So former first lady, she was in her 90s and she was based in LA. There was an opening there. Oh, okay. Wow. At that okay. time. So yeah. I had a big choice. I wanted to go to DC. I was a career woman. Obviously, I'd said yes to work for forever. But I was so angry and resentful knowing that I had to take that Nancy Reagan detail spot to save my marriage. Wow. And okay. so I did and was angry about it because the okay. marriage didn't make it either. And okay. so I went in there thinking I made the first decision, career decision for the betterment of my family. And it still didn't work. So I was angry. And so I'm going through a divorce. I'm really depressed. I'm calling the, the employee assistance program, you know, that, that pamphlet they give you at hiring at a lot of jobs that say, if you yes, need help, we're we here for you. It. Yeah. Yes. And your ego says that'll never apply to me. I've got my, I, my life together. Well, my strongest moment as a woman was contacting them because I thought I was going to be met with so much judgment to say, I'm so depressed. Like I'm going through a divorce. My life is falling apart and I'm you know, supposed to protect other people. Like what will people think? And yes. I was met with quite the opposite of what I anticipated. They sprung into gear you know, they said, Melanie, your occupation has an 80% divorce rate. Do you think you're the only person going through this or the only person that might need to talk to somebody? They're like, who do you want to work with? Do you want to work with the person that's going through divorce and not coping appropriately? Maybe they're turning to alcohol or other means of coping, or do you want to work with the person who's getting help 
and going through the same normal stuff that a lot of people go through. I was like, well, I'd want to work with the person coping appropriately, of course. So yes, of course. I love that. I love that idea because stressful jobs, it's very similar in the medical field too, where high stress jobs in general, you can develop bad coping mechanisms. Did you develop any bad coping mechanisms? Would you say at this time, or you just realized I'm depressed and my marriage is failing? Yeah. So I think depression, depression runs in my family. And I don't know if it's a generational thing that it was never talked about, but I'm the one that brought it up, I think in the family for the most part. And so we talked about it more after, but it does run in my family. And I think that it had been present in my life for a while. I just didn't deal with it, but the divorce kind of brought it out where I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to go to work for the first time in my life, you know, that kind of stuff. Yes. Where okay. It catches up where I can't ignore it anymore. Because, and, and the people around me know that I can't ignore it anymore. They've, yes, it's noticeable. Yeah. Okay. It's noticeable. Yeah. Okay. So I, I ended up getting help and, and you know, it's just for you, by the yeah. way, because a lot of people don't do that. So you recognize it, you called for help and they're like, you'd be surprised how common this is. I'm glad you called. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, naively that my, my marriage is, is over. So that's a stressor, you know, as the therapists say, a stressor or a yes. trigger that triggers the depression. So I think, okay, well, that's out of the picture. And just around that time, Nancy Reagan passes away pretty suddenly, even though she was older, she passes away. Yes. So I found myself going to work one day and then winding up in an embalming room. And I didn't expect that. And so I'm at a very low point in my life, wondering what's going to happen to me career-wise. I'm probably going to have be transferred somewhere else. Yes. And So Nancy Reagan's death, I always say, is the catalyst that brought me back to life because I stood there. I didn't know this woman. I would protected her, but I wasn't her confidant or she, we didn't talk to each other about girly stuff. Yeah. But I heard at her funeral. How long were you protecting her at this point? Less than a year. So I'd only been there less than a year. So she, yeah. So she passes away and I'm standing at the funeral and you always hear about people's legacy. You know, people talk at your funeral. What are they going to say about you when you're gone? And, and it sounds morbid to think about, but when I was standing in the back of that funeral, I was in the back of the room, my post was by the press riser and I was standing there and I realized I don't like who I've become. You know, my legacy right now is an angry, depressed, bitter woman who is playing the victim of what happened to her, that my circumstances, I'm the victim here when I made some bad choices and I own that now. Wow. Wow. But at that moment, I said, my legacy, my legacy today is not something I'm proud of. And so that was the first time I said, I thought I might need to leave my job. And that's really was a tough realization. Yeah. And I did end up leaving the job a couple of months, a few months later and starting over. I mean, the most uncharacteristic thing I'd ever done in my life, quit my job without another one lined up and a job I loved. Yeah. But I did. And I started over and I, like I said, naively thought you remove that stressor of a a toxic marriage, you remove a workplace stressor and then things get better, but they really don't because I didn't do the inner work. That was the problem is that my mindset was a victim. And once I realized you got a lot of demons to face yourself instead of owning, yeah, no, it takes two to, to ruin a marriage. It wasn't all his fault. I had my own demons to face as well. And it was one of those where when I realized I wanted my legacy to be a lot different than it was at the time. And I realized protecting other people kind of gave me a lot of tools to protect myself inside and out because 
I was good at protecting other people. I could control access to these people. I could create security plans. I could, I could, you know, vet people and do background checks and all that stuff. I could do all that stuff, but I wasn't doing it well in my own life. I had allowed so many other entities to control how I felt about myself, my daily actions. I had granted access to things I shouldn't have been granting access to or given full access to. Because by doing that, I was revoking access to positive things like my spouse, my family, loved ones. I, I didn't leave room in my life for the positive things that would have helped me grow because I was too focused on doing one thing perfectly in my job. And yeah, and I want to kind of touch on some of the things that you had mentioned. I mean, there's so many nuggets here, but to kind of go back and realize you're like, I needed to take control and realize that I'm not the victim. I, I just kind of want to stress that. And, and we will, I want to talk about kind of some of the tools that you've used and kind of what your book is about and kind of what you're teaching everybody now, because this is an important concept when we don't learn how to say no. And we take in all these additional things that you found out that you truly can control. And it's really important for us to get out of that, I'm a victim mindset. And it wasn't until you kind of realized this that you were able to flip the switch. I love the fact that you realized you were kind of in a downward spiral. And I love the fact that you recognized your triggers, your stress triggers. I don't know if you had help doing that or if you just did that on your own, because I help a lot of my patients figure this out. They'll come to mm -hmm. me right. just in a bad place and they don't realize that it may be a toxic marriage or environment. I call it an environment, whether it's work, marriage, friendships, they don't realize that that can actually be. And it's one of those things you're right. One of the first steps is recognizing that, which you did. Mm -hmm. And you did do well in expunging some of that stress. But then you're like, that's not enough. I need to do more. And that's when you said, I need to realize my own demons. And so that's great. So let's yeah. kind of, how did you yeah. figure that out, first of all? Because a lot of people can't do that on their own. Right. Well, I did not do it on my own. I, I thought naively, like I said, when my first week off of the job was probably my lowest week, I got to some really dark places and, and nearly did some stupid things. And, you know, thank God that I, I didn't go through with these dark thoughts. Yes. But it, it was a long time because people say, oh, it'll get better. People always say it'll get better. Yeah. It'll that's get the better. typical and line, I say, right? Yes. And and they're right, but it takes a while. Yes. And I, I wanted this instant fix. Like I want to be better. I really want to be better. And that's kind of what my, you know, psychiatrist and therapists would say when I would get frustrated is you want to get better. Right. And I'm like, yes, then you have to do the work. And so what I realized, yep, my root, I think the root part was a lot of the depression that had been unacknowledged. And I was felt shame at it because it runs in my family that that was something that was going to hinder me my whole life from moving forward. And I had to, you know, there is that stigma and we're, it's gotten so much better about being able to talk about it, but my family didn't talk about it. Yes. And it wasn't, it was something we were ashamed of and all the, you know, a long line of depression. And I finally said, I have this and we don't all have to, to cope the way we are, which is to ignore it. Oh, and I love that. And the shame that is huge. And it, it's, it's not just depression. It can be relatable to everything. When people have shame, they don't want to almost like expose it and right. 
exposing it or getting out is like the worst thing you can do. So I love the fact with your therapist and psychiatrist, you guys recognize this, identified it, which is yeah. for me is one of my first steps for my patients, identifying it and then started to work on that. So that's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. So once I started to do that, I had to get more help. You know, obviously that first week off the job, I thought, oh, I'm done. You know, it's all going to be better. So there was a lot more work to do. And so I started writing as just kind of a, an outlet. I always like to write and journaling and stuff. And then the more I kind of started to process all this stuff in therapy and, and in talking to family and kind of, you know, being open about what was going on, yes. I realized that protecting somebody else was what I needed to be doing to myself. And so much was relatable. And the first step is to know what kind of person you want to be. And that's that legacy part is I know that regardless of logistics, regardless of depression, divorce, anything about my past that I'm ashamed of or, or regret, regardless of that, I can still be someone I'm proud of today. And I know that I want to be a woman who is known for fiercely loving and caring a whole lot. And I have this journal entry I wrote in my low point that I reference a lot. It's in my book, actually, where I reference that and I say it's still true today. That is my legacy. I, this is who I want to be regardless of circumstances and kind of identifying that that's what's worth protecting. That is yes. you and your legacy are worth protecting. And that and was your this, first step. Oh, that's yeah, almost like step. identifying your why. Who why? are you? Exactly. Who do you want to be? That's perfect. That's yeah. Perfect. And then from there, I say in the, in the secret service, there's things called situation reports. So we call them sit reps for short, if you want the cool lingo, oh. but those are little um, radio traffic from a motorcade between a motorcade and a destination. So that person at the destination or that agent is giving a status update to the motorcade, which is usually like how many people are there, if how many press are there, if there's a greeter demonstration, you know, just, just the, just an overview of what they can expect upon arrival. And if that's dishonest, like if a catering truck just blocked your arrival point, then you can't say it's all clear for arrival because that's disaster. And yes. that's what I say to myself is that you have to give yourself an honest situation reporter, honest sit rep, which is the honest answer to the, how are you really doing right now question? Yes, I love and, that. Yeah, and I found that when I am not all clear in my situation report, that there's usually something wrong with my access control, which is the second thing, is that access control is, you know, what you do with a protectee in the, in the president, you know, in the president, when there's a campaign event, there's going to be somebody that need access granted, you know, maybe a moderator of a Q&A or something like that. But then there's people that need limited access, maybe events, you know, people attending the event, but they won't be close. You know, if somebody does something stupid or says something stupid, they get re access revoked. And then maybe they'll be denied all to, you know, this, there's this fine yes, dance yes. of access to the person, to the actual right. person. Yes, person. Yes. Yeah. But it applies to me and it's asking myself who and what controls my daily actions and how I feel about myself in, you know, inside and out, what controls how I operate every day. And usually when my situation report isn't all clear, something's off with my access. And that's made me lose track of who I want to be. And that's why I'm not, you know, it all kind of comes full yes, circle. Yes, that, yes, You know, when I finally started implementing that, I lost some friends. And that was really hard because I'd known these people forever and I thought they were my friends. But once I, you know, when you identify that this isn't a good, this isn't making yeah. me feel good about myself, yes, maybe there's exactly. some manipulation. And you have to revoke or limit access. And it's really, really hard because you think it's a loss. And what yeah. I had to get into my head is that, when you remove the negative and you control maybe your workplace, how much your workplace controls you. And that's limited because you I know agree. 
big picture, then there's room for the positive. So, you know, I have, I can welcome positive stuff. You know, I tend to withdraw. People withdraw when they're hurt a lot. That's common. Yes, that's true. That's right. True. But revoking access to everyone doesn't, you know, eliminate the idea of being hurt, but you have to be welcoming to positive access. And for me, after I left, it involved selling everything I own, leaving LA and driving to the Midwest where my family had relocated to. I'm basically saying I didn't know where else to go and rebuilding a lot of re wounded relationships over the years. And that was such a positive, welcoming thing to have my family a big part of my life again. And yeah. so by eliminating so much of that toxic, I was able to see how much positive was waiting to welcome me with open arms. Oh, that's and great. So that's a good, I love that yeah. concept. So yeah. yes, getting rid of the negativity around you and then opening it up for positive energy, positive people. So there are times you need to say yes to things, which is what right. you didn't recognize also when you were on the job. You said yes to work and no to a lot of stuff concerning you, but there was a lot of positive things that you didn't say yes to. So you learn how to differentiate that now. I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's great. So so I don't, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent successful, but it's, you know, I loved protection so much that it helps me to think like an agent with yes, myself sometimes. Course. And, you know, what I went through is not unusual. You know, there's not just a secret service, secret service agents aren't the only people that get divorced or have depression, you know, work-life balance is something we all struggle with at some one point or another. And so my hope is just that by sharing my story and kind of how I learned how to protect myself, that that will help other people recognize where maybe their life might need some changes, or they do have a dishonest situation report, you know, kind of spark the thoughts that, you know, Nancy Reagan's funeral sparked in me to kind of yeah. get me back on track. It's almost like her death brought new life to you. Oh. And 100%. all these destructive like lifestyle habits that you kind of got into that you didn't even recognize um, that kind of sparked a change. Everybody kind of has like a trigger in them to kind of bring about this change. And I love yeah. the way you use your job, what you learned, right? So it wasn't a total, like a lot of people think they go through a bad time and then they start blaming, oh, it was the job, it was this, but look how much positivity, things that you learned from this job that now helps protect you and you can teach others how to protect themselves too by learn taking these on the job like little nuggets I love that yeah I'm so grateful because at first there was so much resentment and I think that was kind of a big hindrance to me moving on and growing yes but once I realized you know what kind of a blessing is it to be able to learn such amazing tools for later in life at 22 you know I was the youngest female ever hired at the time when yes, I got hired yes. you know that was something special that I, I now know to cherish and appreciate more than regret. You know what I mean? Yes. Perfect. Yes. I agree. So let's go back over your, I want to just get your steps down again. So just yep. go over them briefly again um, yep. and learning how people can protect themselves from inside of and out. I love that. Let's right. go over them. Good. Okay. So the first thing is legacy. And then we have situation reports and access control. So the first kind of step is who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be regardless of life circumstances? What do you want to be known for? And that's something you can identify without having it all together. You can know that answer. Yes. And then the other thing is situation reports is that honest answer to the how are you really doing question. And once you've given an honest answer, acting accordingly, not ignoring the answer. If it's not all clear, is do, doing something about it. And what I found is when my 
situation report is a little yucky and not all clear, there's usually something off with my access control, which is recognizing who and what is controlling your daily actions and feelings about yourself inside and out. And when you have some toxic, ac toxic access points, you also need to act. So I found that when my situation report is not all clear, my access is screwed up, that's where I've gotten off track with who I wanna be. And so it all comes full circle. And it's, it's all about, for me, is regular situation reports. Because if I'm not checking in with myself and being honest, because I have that switch, I can turn it off and do it for a long time. Yes. But it's making that conscious effort to say, take a pause. How are you really doing? And that's usually what gets this thing started, gets the ball rolling. I love it because I talk about self-check-ins and I think that is so important to staying on track long-term, right? Because you can do it for a little bit and then a lot of like, for me, my patients, they get off track and then that's it for them. They throw up their hands, but it's really important when you fall off track to do these self-check-ins. And I like the way you relate it. Figure out where it is in the, the circle, so to speak, the yeah. way you put it. Why are you not doing well right, right now? So how mm -hmm. often would you say you kind of check your situation report? Would you say? Yeah. Um, well, I think that for me, it's I have to do it regularly when there's a big life change. Like, for example, I started a new job, started my own little business, have a new book coming out. And so I've had to do it regularly because my workaholic tendencies usually kick in right about now. Yes. A lot so, of stuff going on. Right. And in the past year has been a difficult year with everybody with, you know, jobs, you know, I was lost, I, yeah, lost and, or just speaking gigs being canceled. You know, everybody had something was affected in some way for the last year. So I had to do it more often. So I don't know that there's a necessarily a time range. Sometimes I have to do it daily. Sometimes it's every month or two. I say, okay, what, how are we doing? Are we okay? You know, okay. <laughs> it just depends on what's going on in your life. Yeah. Essentially. And I, yeah. And I have to have enough self-awareness now to recognize when I probably need to do it more often, which is now because I've had some big life changes and, you know, getting stressed about, you know, choices I've had to make. And so I know, okay, you have to do this a little more often because there's a lot of access coming at you right now. Let's keep it together and, and we can do this. And when I mess up, I always have this saying, you know, if I mess up one day, I just try again tomorrow. Like it's not a loss. It's just a bad day. It's not a bad life. You know, we could try again tomorrow. So I, exactly. I always say, I'm going to go to bed and try again tomorrow. Exactly. I <laughs> yeah. love that. I mean, and honestly, look at things as an opportunity, right? Like it's not a fail. I always say it's not a failure. It's not a loss. Like always try to see the positive in it. So I think that's, that's perfect. Right. I love what you're yeah. doing. And yeah. so your book, Agent Innocence, mm -hmm. and that's all about this journey, right? Yes. Perfect. Yep. That's the memoir. It's Agent Innocent. And that's uh, came out in 2019. So it's the memoir. But okay. the beauty about okay. memoir is that I'm still living and learning. And so the second book is a workbook uh, that's coming out May 1st. So just in, you know, three weeks ish or so. Oh, um, it's exciting. A short, yeah. So it's called advanced work, which is what this is a, a personal security plan. So it's kind of those life lessons expanded upon as I've grown and learned over the last few years. I, it's more geared towards probably high school or college girls, you know, kind of stuff I wish I knew before I started adulting. Yes. yes. Yeah. But it's a seven day workbook where you kind of look at situation reports, your legacy access control. So it kind of takes you through where's your life at right now. And so I'm really excited about that project. It'll be May 1st. That'll come out and that'll be on Amazon as well. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Where can we find you? Where can we find this? And I would argue that workbook can be, um, 
not just college or high school, but anybody could probably benefit it, especially oh, of if course. they don't know where they are in their life and they almost not need to like recheck, like re-decide, yep. especially there's so many people after the pandemic that are going through major life changes because mm -hmm. they thought their life was one thing pre-pandemic, the pandemic changed everything for so yes. many people. And now they're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do now? How do I pick up the pieces? What am I going to do for a job? Like new career. A lot of people are starting a lot of new careers and right. trying to figure out where they're at in life. So I think that workbook is very timely and it would be perfect. Yeah. So they can get it on Amazon. And then yeah. do you have a website or something where people can find you or ask questions? Yes, absolutely. It's www.melanielentz.com. So my first and last name, it's L-E-N-T-Z. So melanielentz.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook. It's Melanie Lentz author is my handle on Instagram. But yeah, you can contact me there. And I love hearing from people. And I would love to hear feedback about how the workbook helped you because, you know, as I was writing it, I was kind of having to redo it myself. Like you said, it can be at any age, but specifically something I wish I had when I was in high school and college for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, I totally can relate to that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Melanie, for teaching us how to protect ourselves from the inside out based on your experience. I know some people, people will get so much out of those nuggets that you gave us. I think it's perfect timing. And I think it'll help so many people from going down a really destructive path or helping them get out of that. It happens to all of us. So I really appreciate you sharing your story. Yes. Thank you well, so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you. Same here. All right, bye.